Jonathan. My name's Jonathan Frakes. How are you? The only reason I'm doing this is because Will Wheaton said you guys were cool. He said, I've known him from the beginning. You should do this. When we were originally asked by our friend Dave Rossi, who was going to work on it, he asked us if we would like to work on it. And we basically didn't stop talking for about a half an hour on how we we didn't want to work on it because we did not want anything changed. Right. And he basically said, look, this is going to happen. If you want to come on board and... You want to have a voice. You want to have a voice, then come on board. Otherwise, anything can happen. And particularly original series, which we have a great, great fondness for. Um, we wanted to be there to protect it as much as we possibly could. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Well, okay. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. Right here in your ears or your car stereo or your Bluetooth speakers. I'm just going to name off all the ways that you can listen to a device. And there's probably about like a thousand and one ways that we don't even know about. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's like when you, when I, when I view the analytics on my YouTube channel, it breaks it down, the devices that people use. And it's ridiculous. Like, are there ones on there? Like you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. There's things I don't know what they are. And like, cause there's people sometimes in like the United Arab Emirates watching and, you know what I mean? So they have these countries. Have wow. Their, Look at you with I'm your famous. widespread <laughs> fan base. Yeah. Right. 368 <laughs> subscribers strong, baby. Woo-hoo. Everybody go subscribe right now. And, <laughs> you know, if, especially if you live in like, I don't know, like Somalia. Let's yeah. let's expand his 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 reach. <laughs> exactly. I'm looking to I'm looking to expand into Luxembourg. So if you're, if you're <laughs> somewhere to crash next yeah. time you're in Luxembourg. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So Jamie, this is another interview this week that you did solo. Another, Seriously, another, what another. is what is wrong with you? I don't know. I like, need to, where did you just like go to Mars or something? I did. I need to commit more to this thing. I think <laughs> you 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 have a life. We all have a life. It's but, true. Uh, and yeah. sometimes, sometimes guests tell us the time that they can do it, and it doesn't jive necessarily. And yeah, we make often do. that's what happens. Is, <laughs> yeah. You know, I try to I try to work around our, our schedule, but sometimes they only have a certain window free, and you know, we just grab it. And if one of us can't make it, then that's kind of how it ends up. It's unfortunate, but you know, it's that's how good. we get. It's all, you know, it's all good. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, still, it's, it's, they still get the episode no matter what, so they don't care. The listeners do. They don't <laughs> yeah. care. Well, I don't know. Maybe they do care. Maybe you There's know, a revolt they don't because like... I'm not on the episode. I'm not turning this. They just clicked it off. As soon as we said I'm not on it. <laughs> yeah, I would not be surprised. <laughs> I need like, the world's smallest violin right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, James, uh, but so who did yeah. you talk to? What are, what are they all about? What's going on? <laughs> I talked. Uh, it was a thrill. I talked to Mike and Denise Okuda. And if you are a Star Trek fan, you know those names. You know who they are. Um, Mike, like he's got some some seriously impressive stats behind him. He, uh, 
I don't know if he is the longest or if he's like tied with a few other people, but he worked for Star Trek in its various incarnations for like 18 years straight. So like he was on the next gen when it started. So like he worked on next gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, all the films that were made during that time. Um and like he was on staff, he was a technical advisor to the writers, and he was also a graphic uh, graphic artist. And uh, and his wife Denise was also you know on staff during much of that time. Um, but they're like the world's biggest Star Trek fans, and so they you know they have all that personal experience on the show. But then in the years since, they've gone back, and they're still very close to it. Um, they did. You know, the the original series and the next gen were all remastered uh, and they when they were released on Blu-ray, it wasn't just like a HD transfer. They also went back and they they changed many of the visual effects. Mm-hmm. So especially in the the um, original series where it was most noticeable was when um, any exterior shot of a, of the Enterprise, like, what you know, when you would go right. back and forth, come in from commercials and you'd see the Enterprise in orbit around a planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they redid all of those, so oh wow, it looks incredible. Um, any, uh, I don't want to say all of them, but many of the like surface shots, like when they're on an mm-hmm. alien planet, if there was a matte painting behind them, often you know when you watch the originals, it was very obviously a matte right. painting, or you could see the the cutout where they tried to put the the actual footage, the film, you know, the video yep. into it. <laughs> yeah, um, they they redid a lot of those. Next gen, they redid some of the the visual effects. They they fixed some continuity errors. They redid a lot of the uh, computer screen, so like the the, the graphics mm-hmm. you'd see on the screens. They redid a lot of those, um, and so they touched something in every single episode of you know those ten seasons of those those two series. Um, and they, I mean, they were it was basically them. Like they they had a team, but they were they oversaw that entire process. Um, and even more recently than that, uh, I don't I think I told you about this, Justin, the enterprise, the original, I think it's a, the 11 foot mm-hmm. model of the original enterprise is yeah. on display here at the Smithsonian. Oh, I didn't know that. No way. It's, it just recently, relatively recently went on display. It's at the air and space museum. Uh, and it's really cool because it's this huge 11 foot right. enterprise and they've still got it, um, um, like if they've got it wired for lights. Oh, so wow. when you would see the ship in the show and, you know, the two nacelles along the side mm-hmm. and had like those rainbow colory lights that kind of went in a yeah. spiral, like it's doing that. And like, you oh, can see man. like the lights on top and around the edges, it's all lit up. It's really, really cool. Um, they were brought in, Mike and Denise were brought in as consultants and, and for the restoration of that. So when the wow. Smithsonian went, you know, went ahead with restoring the model and said, we're going to put it on display for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. They brought them in because really at this point, they are the, 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 the experts behind anything technical right. Star Trek at this point. I mean, they have far and away the most experience. One of the things that I thought was really interesting um, was that Mike Okuda has more Star Trek, more credits, like official credits to Star Trek than anybody else except for Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> and that's only because Gene Roddenberry gets the created by credit right, on every episode. Course, yeah. Even after he passed away, he mm-hmm. still gets the created by credit. 
So in reality, Mike Okuda probably has more actual credits for work that he did. I mean, he didn't create Star Trek. Right. Yeah. But in terms of actual day to day work and <laughs> advising and consulting and technical work and graphic design work, um, he has the most experience more than anybody else in, in, in Star Trek. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> so if you're a Trekkie, your Trekker, however, you, whichever you prefer, this is a, it's a really cool conversation. We really cover cover a wide range of stuff. And yeah, unfortunately, you weren't there. No. I know you're a Star Trek fan, aren't I you? I am. Justin? I am. And actually, my wife, Sarah Moore, uh, I don't have to say my wife to you, but to the listeners, they don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife, Sarah, is a big fan. And recently she started watching all of the series that are on Netflix and she came mm-hmm. to me like last week and she's like, I have to tell you something. I was like, what? And she goes, I think I like it better than star Wars. <laughs> uh, I could see it. Well, and you know, it's got so much more of a, you know, there's so much more source material and there's more time to get to know the characters and you know, yeah. it's just the way it is. Right. If yeah. we had 300 star Wars, <laughs> however many 600 star Wars episodes, we might. <laughs> exactly. If it were a, if it were a show that was on TV for seven seasons, we would have more backstory and, and, right. you know, be able to dive in a little bit more to the characters. But exactly. so I, I can see, I mean, they're, they're often, I think, unfairly compared mm-hmm. to each other. I don't think it's, that it's you can compare, compare them. them. The only thing really they have in common is they're in space. <laughs> they're in space. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And like they were, they were very popular around the same time, right, you right. know, and they still are. They're very, they're, they're probably the two biggest science fiction franchises that have stayed around forever, you know, and I love them both. Like I, I'm not going to lie. I like them. Yeah. Both. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And I actually have been doing the same thing because everything is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I started, I did the same thing. I'm doing a complete watch through. So I started with the original series, okay. went to the animated series Watched all of the next gen, and now I'm in the first season of Deep Space Nine, which mumble mumble. I never really watched before. Okay, uh, like I've seen a few episodes yeah. of it, but I, I mean, never. Well, maybe we should talk about it after the interview. We'll get into it. We should. We should. We but the reason I'm saying that is, if anybody yeah. watches it on Netflix, um, watches the original series right. or the next gen, you're watching the remastered versions that the Okudas did. That's okay. those are the versions that are on Netflix. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Well, we're going to go talk to them right now. Jamie's going to go talk to them right now. We're going to play it for you. Hope you enjoy. Mike and Denise, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk today. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor to have you here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, I want to start off by talking with the, the new book you guys have coming out uh, next month, the, the new edition of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Um and I, well, I'm curious, many of the books that you guys have written for the, for Star Trek are the reference guides that other writers consult. So I'm curious where you go for your research. We go to the episodes. Yeah. We go to... Uh, that's actually... A, 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 that's, a, that's a very good question. It's a little more subtle than you think. Uh, a lot of times, because we work on the shows, or we've worked on a lot of the shows... We'll say, well, remember that he was uh, this or that, that, that she went there. And someone else will go, no, she didn't. <laughs> and it turns out that in the, in the third draft, uh, she went to Starfleet Academy. In the fourth draft, she didn't. Right. And if you're remembering the wrong draft, you're in trouble. So we try not to trust our memories. And we have a process, and we've done a couple of different up- updates on the Star Trek Encyclopedia. And we treat it as a research project. And so what we do is we take the, the, because we 
did work on the shows, the various series, we have all the scripts and the call sheets and memos and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we take the shooting script and we correct to air. So we put the aired episode in and we correct the script um, succinctly mm -hmm. to what was in the aired episode. We will put quotes around dialogue uh, that may be missing in the shooting script or was changed in the shooting script. So we know exactly what was aired, what everyone heard. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the jumping off point for uh, writing entries for the, the encyclopedia. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you go to the shooting script as your primary source. And then yes. will, will you actually rewatch all the episodes? Oh, yes. Yeah. We, we go from the, we take this, the shooting script, we correct to air, mm -hmm. and then we have the script. Because once we have the script uh, corrected to air, then we go back to the script for any questions or, you know, did he really say that or did we think yeah. that he said? As Michael, um, you know, a script goes through so many iterations and sometimes we forget what was in the episode specifically. Right. So that's, that's what we do. And um, when we first knew we were going to be doing the updated encyclopedia, we went into the garage and um, we have all of the scripts in, in tubs, in waterproof tubs. Mm -hmm. And we brought them out and we spread them out through the house. So um, we had them right there. And that would be our go-to once they were corrected to air. Yeah. So... I mean, I guess I have to ask, as you go through and you're, okay, we're working on this episode today and we're going to start with the script and we're going to watch the episode that aired and we're going to make the changes. How many times do you have to watch each episode? Is it just once? Is it, you just hit pause and you go through and make your corrections or do you watch it several times to, to maybe catch something that you missed? Yeah, the goal with taking the notes is so that you, you watch it once and then you uh, hopefully rely on, on, the, on the notes. Mm -hmm. You always have to go back and go, Wait a minute, yeah. because you think it's easy to take notes, but you never know actually what you're going to need. Right. Some amazingly trivial sentence construction is going to mean something later on. Yeah. So you always have to go back and check. And a lot of times you go, well, I know it's, it's what it said, but that's, is that what they really said? Right. So the the version that's coming out now is the fourth edition, I believe. So what's new about this edition that wasn't in the previous three? Lots of new stuff. <laughs> the last edition, the last full edition of the Star Trek Encyclopedia was 1994. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, uh, 1999. Excuse, excuse me. Excuse 99. Me. Yeah. Excuse me. The last full edition was 97. Uh, was 97. Yeah. It's still and been then, a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Two years later, uh, we did a 1999 edition, but in order to try to keep the cover price down, uh, uh, it was published as the book with a supplement at the end. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of entries that are split. Yeah. So this, so this, uh, this, this edition. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, it it uh, fully merges the uh, the ninety the ninety nine supplement with the ninety seven uh, or ninety seven edition. Now in the ninety seven ninety nine uh, supplement, we left off about a third of the way through the seventh season, D Space Nine about a third of the way through this uh, fifth season of, of, of Voyager. And of course it had nothing to do with um, Enterprise, Nemesis, or the, um, or the Abrams films. Mm -hmm. So it adds all of that. But the interesting thing is that Star Trek storytelling has gotten more complex as it goes along. Uh, you used to have essentially standalone episodes where 
something really didn't affect anything around it. Now, almost every episode has something which is going to tr- trickle back and affect something in, in in the past. So we had we had to do quite a lot of uh, uh, of um, timeline work. Timeline work. We had we had to do quite a lot of uh, of uh, rewarding of things because we discovered, oh well, yes, he was uh, he was Cork's uh, uh, nephew, but he uh, uh, or uh, excuse me, Cork's uh, I guess his brother. Uh, but he became Grand Nagus, so an encyclopedia is going to talk to uh, talk about that because that's important. Right, right. So how long? I mean, obviously you've not been working on this since '99, but how long since you got you know the, the quote unquote the green light to go ahead with the new edition? Like, I, I'm just cu- like how much how much research and time actually went into the update? I'd have to imagine it was a lot. We worked for about two years. Yeah. Um, some of that we worked full time, seven days a week. Some of that we had other projects going on and we would work um, much as when we were working on production, we were working, you know, two television series and a, and a feature film every other year. When we were working on our books, that was uh, evening and weekend work. And um, uh, so the same thing, but about two years yeah. we worked on it. Yeah. Each of us put in about a solid uh, uh, full-time year, and then about a half a year, uh, uh, about a full year, a year part-time and a year full-time. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a- <laughs> we love Star Trek a lot. Clearly, <laughs> you have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to ask though. In, in in 2016, when we have Google and Wikipedia and Memory Alpha. Why put out a new print edition? Well, we like the feel of paper, and we yeah. hope a lot of people do, too. Yeah, you're not alone. I do, too. So, Well, the, uh, online references are great, and, and we use them as, as well. But there, uh, a lot of people have told us, and, and, and uh, we agree, there's a certain charm with being able to, uh, to watch this, the show on television, sit back and, 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 and look up something and go, oh, oh yeah, oh, wait, and then look, look that up. And it's not just the reference, but it's it's a way to immerse yourself in in, in Star Trek and the uh, in the in the fantasy that here is a real world that is really well developed, and there really is backstory, and there really is uh, and there really is history, and this is a way to to have fun with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before Discovery was announced, the biggest news, I guess, I would think, unless I'm forgetting something, the biggest news in the Star Trek universe other than the Kelvin timeline and the new films, was the remastering and the Blu-ray releases of the original series and Next Gen, which you guys were both instrumental in that effort. Um, You've probably answered this a million times, so I apologize, but did you have any hesitation before diving in, especially because, you know, a lot of those special effects from the original series were were being changed? Yes. Yeah. When we were originally asked by our friend Dave Rossi, who was going to work on it, uh, he asked us if we would like to work on it. And we basically didn't stop talking for about a half an hour on how we, we didn't want to work on it because we did not want anything changed. Right. And he basically said, look, this is going to happen. If you want to come on board and, and you want to have a voice, you want to have a voice then come on board. Otherwise, you know, they, anything can happen. And particularly original series, which we have a great, great fondness for. Um, we wanted to be there to protect it as much as we possibly could. And so thereby started that interesting rabbit hole. Yeah. 
Uh, the, the really cool thing is that on one hand, CBS put a lot of resources into, into redoing the show. And um, but at the same time, when they brought up the Blu-rays, they were very sensitive to uh, to potential criticism of uh, fans saying that uh, you ruined it. Right. So at a surprisingly large amount of effort and time and money and money, uh, uh, CBS Home Entertainment actually put out it was, it was the first major first large scale use of uh, branching technology. So you can watch the uh, remastered effects, but you can watch the originals. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have not overwritten it. You know, uh, uh, even if Hans sh shoots first here, or Rita, then um, right. You can, watch, you can watch it either way. Both both versions exist. Yes. Yeah. I, you mentioned the fan response, and I'm sure you heard a lot of frustration. And you're ruining it. Why even touch it? Now that those versions, the newer ones, the remastered ones, they've been out there for a while, has, from your perspective, has the fan reception to them changed at all? We think that, uh, we think they've been generally accepted. There are a lot of diehard fans who, who still, um, who still prefer the originals. And, and uh, with seamless branching, you can watch the originals. Right. And that's the things that we really like with the original series. We, we really like that a lot. You can see these beautiful uh, HG uh, remastered episodes and they're gorgeous um, and stay with the original effects. That's fine. One of the highest praise we got for, for that show is uh, unsolicited after the first few episodes came out, uh, we got a call at home from uh, Bob Justman mm -hmm. who was a producer in the original series. And he said, uh, the show finally looks the way that I always wanted to look the mm -hmm. colors and the sharpness and the, and the, and the vibrance is finally what we wanted it to be. Yeah, I can see why that would be uh, feel vindication, justification for what you've done. Yeah. Um, when you work on something like that, though, where you go back and I, I don't want to use the word tinker because you did so much more than that. But when you change the the you know the interstitials, you know the 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 the, the scenes of the planets or the scenes on the on the you know from orbit, how do you show restraint? You know, I mean, I have to imagine that there, there's there got to be this temptation to, you know, even more so than you've already done in your careers, put this extra little stamp on the show. Oh, I can I can put something in here. It's like a little Easter egg that only I will know. But like, so how do you pull back and just not do that too much? Very hard. Yeah, it's hard. But, but our job was to um, to go forward with the vision of the artists who created them originally. And so we kept that in our minds. A um, little more difficult with the original series because, of course, we didn't work on the series. Sure. Uh, a little easier with Star Trek The Next Generation because we were there. We knew the folks from visual effects. In fact, many times we would send them an email and said, can you remember mm. when you were creating this particular visual effect why you did this particular thing? And so we were very... Um, blessed to be supported with the, the original artists. Yeah. And that was our mantra. Were we tempted at times? Absolutely. Were the people working with us at CBS Digital wanting to stretch the envelope? Absolutely. Yeah. But it was our job to keep everything pretty much as you saw it on TV, yeah. pretty much. Right. Did that make working on the next gen set or the, the series, did that make it easier because you had that access to the people who who originally did that work? Or was it just 
a different kind of hard because there are even more special effects. Uh, we, a lot of the people who worked on Next Generation, you know, I, I worked on the sure. uh, entire, so uh, we didn't hesitate to, to call one of the uh, effect supervisors. There were a couple of cases where there were shots that seemed wrong to me. Mm -hmm. So I would call the uh, supervisor in question and say, look, I'm, I'm not criticizing. If you made, uh, here's what you did. Here's what I think it probably should have been. Uh, if you made that change for any reason, just because you like that color or a producer asked you to do it or uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, we will respect that decision. We'll, we, we will, uh, we will do what you did because this is, this is your show. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if this is simply something that fell through the cracks or, uh, um, nobody realized it or whatever, then, uh, would you be okay with, with us changing it? And, and they were always very, very gracious. Yeah. Makes me think of you, like you said, you were there and, you know, for the for the, the run of the show, I mean, was there any anything that like then when you were working on the show that you either didn't agree with or you wish you had more time to do or you wish you had more money to do and you just couldn't get it done? And now you saw as the remastering, like this is my chance, this is my opportunity to do what I couldn't do twenty years ago or thirty years ago. There was uh, in an early episode. Um, there was a, a computer graphic that I had designed. Mm -hmm. It was a little, one of those things of data speed reading. Okay. And uh, I have, for, uh, for practical reasons, I had, I had done the animation black and white, but I, I gave uh, specific instructions as, as to how it should be colored. But in post-production, when uh, Visual Effects composited, instead of the color that I, I had uh, wanted and, and thought was correct, they made it green. And I absolutely hated this. I was, I was furious. So when it came time to redo that that show, I'm going, "Ha ha, we're gonna fix this." Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm giving them instructions. Here, here, here's what it should be. And then his wife stepped in and said, "Ah ah ah." Denise kind of leaned over at me and said, "You know, this is how people have watched it for the past uh, uh, twenty or thirty years. Yeah. This is what people have." This is what people have come, have come to know and love. This is this is their Star Trek, and oh. so we didn't change it. Yeah. Oh. But yes, there are there are there are places where we uh, we we did make small upgrades. Uh, hopefully, the mantra is if if you do something that makes you go, oh my God, they've saved the show. Mm. If you if we ever make you say that, then we have failed. You uh, you should say. Wow, Rob Legato's a genius. Wow, um, Ben Curry's a genius. Gary Hutzel's a genius. That's what you should say. Yeah. Not, not these guys saved the show. Yeah. A light hand. You wanted to have as light a hand as possible, so we didn't even notice that you were in there changing, right? Yeah. Pretty and, much, yes. Yeah. yeah, and we also had we also had the huge advantage that Next Generation uh, Paramount had painstakingly preserved. Very nearly all of the original uh, original film. Mm -hmm. We could go back to the original model elements and, and recomposite those, which was an advantage we didn't have when uh, doing original series. Yeah. I, I don't know if you are Star Wars fans or what you thought of the special editions of the original trilogy, but after working on the you know the HD versions of Trek, 
do you have a better appreciation for what George Lucas was trying to do, or do you do you understand it even less? I entirely understand that here is something you you're working so hard at and you passionately care about, and you're and you and for a period of of a year or two years, however long it takes to make the film, mm-hmm. you're every bit of you is trying to make it better and 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 figure out what works, what doesn't work, and then it's ripped from you. And then 10 years later, you get a chance to, to come back. And the temptation, as you said, is irresistible. Mm-hmm. And so I absolutely under, understand that. On the other, on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, when it comes to Star Trek, uh, we're purists and didn't want to muck with it. And um, in almost anything, I mean, if you had taken the one of my favorite movies is the Errol Flynn version of The Adventures of Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And if you had gone in there and changed something in that movie, I would have been upset. I mean, I want to see it the way I love it, the way I grew up with it, the way I saw it for the first time. So, um, again, with the original series, the Star Trek series, you have seamless branching. So you have the best of both worlds, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> And um, but we were always very mindful of what they did on Star Wars, and we that was not our marching orders at all. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the other hand, in George Lucas's defense, <clears throat> that's his movie. He made that movie. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. We did not make the original series, so uh, the, our relationship to the film is, was was dramatically different. When it came to Next Generation, you know, I worked on it, but I, I wasn't the producer. I. I, I certainly felt feel authorship over the shots that I did, but other than that, you know, th- this is it's it's different. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Um, do you think that we'll ever see HD versions of DS Nine or Voyager? We'd love to. We'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Tell everybody to buy TOSG. <laughs> I've got them. <laughs> it's very. It's it's a really ex expensive uh, commitment and a lot of work. Uh, we would love it. We love Deep Space Nine. I mean, we like Voyager 2, of course, but Deep Space Nine is so rich. Mm-hmm. And we've had many people come up to us and say, when, you know, when are you coming out with Deep Space Nine? And we give them the same answer. You know, We'd love to see it. We'd love to see it. Yeah. Mm. Must be frustrating. I know it's, it's not up to you, but, you know, having having... You must see the the first two series as you know, quote unquote, your baby, because you did spend so much time with them, and you you know you you fine tuned them to look as best as they possibly could, and you want to give the same treatment to the other shows. So I can only imagine the frustration with it being out of your hands. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Decisions are always more complicated than they look. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um. Let's. I mean, it, 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 this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and uh, we've been seeing a lot of stories written about the franchise and specific stories about you know the lasting importance of Star Trek. I'm curious to know your personally your personal feelings about why Star Trek remains relevant in 2015. Well, for me, it's about family, and. Uh, people being accepted for themselves. And I think that that 
rings true to a lot of people. I also think that Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future with optimism and uh, humanity um, is sorely needed. Uh, it was sorely needed in the 60s. I don't know if it's more needed right now. It might be. I mean, we really need to, as one people, pull together and drive for those things that elevate us as as a community, as 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 the inhabitants of planet Earth. And I think people are hungry for that. We're tired of hearing about a pessimistic view of this world. And um, I think that's part of the endurance of Star Trek is the positive uh, view of the future. And Mike and I certainly hold on to that in these trying times. Star Trek is about a better tomorrow. It's a, it's that it says that that tomorrow in that tomorrow, we can we can share the benefits of science and technology and uh, and education. It says that tomorrow will be cool. Tomorrow tomorrow will be kinder. It it says that if we are smart, if we're compassionate, if we work together, then we literally can reach for the stars. That was, I believe, Gene's uh, 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 core philosophy, and I think that's part of the core of uh, of its enduring appeal. Would you say that's the ultimate message of Star Trek for you? Optimism? I think for us, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This might be an odd question, but um, is there another show or franchise that you think comes close to replicating the magic of Star Trek? In different pieces and different ways? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there are certainly television series that we over the years have enjoyed and, and many people have gravitated to. Um, but I don't know of another television series that is 50 years old that is still relevant today and that have so many people of different age and eth ethnicities drawn to this philosophy. I, I can't think of another one. For me, uh, for me, it's not science fiction, but it's a show about smart people working very hard, uh, passionately committed to doing good is, is the West Wing. Yeah. You, you have a group of people working for the common good and they inspire you. Yeah. Yeah, you don't often see those two compared, but I can absolutely see what you're saying. Um, I want to, let's talk technology for a minute in Star Trek. So much of, of the technology that seemed so fantastic and impossible when we first saw it has become reality, you know, it's, and it's because Star Trek has inspired these these inventors and scientists. But um, I'm, I'm wondering what you think is next. Like, what technology right now in 2016 still seems so far off that it's impossible, but is still theoretically plausible that we could have it someday? There's a uh, tendency to say that science fiction predicts the future. I, I don't believe that it does. Mm -hmm. Science fiction suggests possible futures it says you know if you have this technology this might happen if you have this 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 social trend that might that might happen and it's kind of a scattergun effect and sometimes uh and sometimes you're right a lot of times you're wrong but it doesn't matter because if you if the adventures are interesting um first of all they're fun and perhaps they say well if this happens well we should avoid that mm -hmm. and uh, that that being said, uh, 
one thing that I think Star Trek got, I, I think wrong is too strong a word, but a lot of technologies that it predicted for the uh, for the 23rd century are already here. Mm-hmm. You and uh, we are talking to you on a technology that's frankly more advanced than uh, than most of the communications technology we saw uh, on the show. Certainly, the uh, the computing devices on, on our uh, on our desks have more power than the library computer did of the Enterprise. And uh, and, of, and of course, there, there are the, uh, the cell phones and, and GPS and all those things. What piece of, of Star Trek tech, whether it's it's possible or not, what would do you think fundamentally change humanity for the better if we actually had it in real life? Like, in, in other words, what, what do we need to invent to, to just to make the world and humanity a better place? We knew that answer. We'd be billionaires. <laughs> I have an answer, but I have no idea how to make it. I mean, I think the replicator, the replicator, the replicator, the replicator is what is, is is like that magic box that can. I mean, it would it would get rid of of hunger. It would get rid of of want. It would get rid of poverty. It would you know. I mean, once you have the replicator, you know, currency and 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 you know, ca- different types of caste systems and 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 the strip stratigraphy of society it could all, would all fall away because there's no barrier to get what it is that you need you know you don't have to go you know you don't have to hike 20 miles to get a bucket of water or you don't have to you know you're not trying to constantly keep up with the joneses you know and different ends of the spectrum it solves so many of the the problems that we are currently facing in so many different cu- cultures in so many different countries and i think you know, I mean, warp speed would be great. You know, um, the ability to, to transport would be great. Um, but I think I think the replicator is the answer. I think the replicator would solve so many of our problems and it would just be a cascade effect. Well, one of the things, uh, uh, obviously, when uh, uh, when Star Trek created the replicator, no one really had any real idea how you might do that. Yeah. Now, now we have 3D printers, and a lot of the things that you are predicting are things that could very conceivably happen in some way, not necessarily in the way you predict, mm-hmm. but in some way from uh, uh, from additive printing, from 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's going to be very interesting. It's not replication on a, on a molecular level, but the ability to uh, to create things on, on demand has, a, has tremendous ability to, to change so much of uh, of, of society, of, of, our, of our economy, of, of our markets, of, our, um, of the way we do things. And uh, I think it'd be really interesting to come back in, uh, in, a, in a decade or, or two or three and, and see how um, I predict it will have fundamentally changed uh, our economy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, once right now, you know, it's doing 3D printing is, is, is making unbelievable advances for, you know, for healthcare and for manufacturing but you know once we can make that next step to make it to, to make it scalable and to make create food you know <laughs> that's when i think you know the barriers start to fall away well even even before that uh, spare parts sundries mm-hmm. uh, 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 once you have a certain level of of, uh, of of ability to manufacture food that uh de- depending on how all those problems are solved you 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 the potential for Dramatic changes in uh, how do we prepare food, how do we distribute food, how do we, uh, 
I do, how do we deal with hunger? How do we feed astronauts on a space station? Yeah. Yeah. Or on Mars. Or on Mars. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this. I mean, you say that um, science fiction doesn't predict the future, but definitely inspires it. Um, science fiction, I, I shouldn't say it doesn't predict the future. I'd say its, it's job isn't to predict the future. Okay, no, fair no enough. No matter what we might releases. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but I think it absolutely inspires people who do create the future. Um, and Star Trek has inspired countless scientists and inventors who have gone on to make things like 3D printers and and other advances that you know originally might have appeared on screen in Star Trek. Um, why do you think people, and this is maybe making an assumption, but why do you think people in positions of, of diplomatic and political power have not been similarly inspired by Star Trek? You know, in Star Trek on Earth and within the Federation, we see a peaceful society that has moved beyond money, you know, beyond racism, past intolerance, and it's this peaceful, you know, future like like you were talking about. Why though does 2016 in some respects still feel like 1966? Um, Einstein, I'm I'm sorry, I don't recall the exact quote, but Einstein uh, once had a he had a very pithy quote about how uh, technology and science is far simpler than, than politics. Yeah, uh, I, I disagree with your with your uh, with your suggestion that Star Trek hasn't inspired diplomats and politicians. Mm-hmm. I I strongly suspect it has. So their task is much more difficult than than figuring out how to how to how to build a transtator. Their their task to get people to get good people, intelligent people, strong-willed people of uh, of legitimately varying interests work together and to uh, share and to share competing resources. That's more difficult, and hopefully Star Trek. And other things will inspire them to uh, uh, to continue to try, as, as we all should. Yeah. Talking about you know, the '60s and when Star Trek first appeared, the race to space and the moon landing in the '60s it was one of those seminal moments in world history that sort of I, I feel I wasn't alive, but I feel like it, it it brought us all together. You know, at a time when in the '60s nothing made sense and the world was falling apart, and recent history can take a similar tone you know it feels if you look around at the you know the world situation and politics and the way people are just treating and interacting with one another it kind of feels like we're heading down that similar road so i'm wondering if you think the journey to mars could be today's moon landing could it ha- could it be that common point of wonder that 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 brings us all together it could be i Apollo captured our imagination, the, the public imagination, in, in a way that nothing had at, at, at that point. Yeah. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna have a similar thing. On the other hand, if things like uh, Elon Musk's uh, uh, Mars Colonial Transporter becomes a reality, mm-hmm. uh, with Apollo, people like you and we never really had a chance to go to the moon. Uh, if Elon Musk is successful in his amazingly ambitious plans, no. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And, and that, and the possibility that real people, ordinary, relatively ordinary people, might be able to do this extraordinary thing, might in fact uh, catapult its reach in society far beyond that of Apollo. Yeah. Are you? I mean, Elon Musk's, you know, 
ambitions aside, are you hopeful for the future of space travel and exploration? Do you think we're heading in, in the right direction? Not fast enough. Yeah. You're here. <laughs> we have a we have a fair number of friends in NASA. They they're all smart, committed, passionate, ambitious, brilliant people who are doing their very best with the resources that they have to help us go boldly where none have gone before. And uh, naturally, we wish they were going faster. Are you involved with Discovery at all? Are you consulting? Can you not talk about it? (laughs) Discovery is shooting in in Toronto, Toronto. so that makes it tough. Yeah. Have they called you in for some technical consulting? Just curious. And I'm not asking for spoilers. (laughs) Just wondering if you're involved at all. We've had a couple of meetings, but we're we're not really connected. Yeah. Who's your captain? I mean, which captain do we like the best? Yeah. You know, I mean, when you talk to fans, everybody has their captain. It's usually who they grew up with or who they watched first. But you guys come at this from a very unique position, perspective. They're all so different. Um, And when you work on a television series, it's very different than when you don't. And since we didn't work on the original series, Mm -hmm. um, I would think that Kirk would be probably our favorite captain but it's it's kind of schizophrenic for us because like i said we worked on the series so we look at the people and we see the character but we also see you know avery brooks or patrick stewart or mm-hmm. kate so i mean um so it's difficult if if you have all of track on the table you know we're just talking the i guess what you would call the primary pieces the primary sources the six series the 13 films what would you put on TV for someone who's never seen any of it? Probably City on the Edge of Forever. Probably City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. That and, and um, feature either Star Trek 2 or 4. Because I think that that would, maybe 4 more than 2, reach out to somebody that doesn't know anything about Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I would go with 2. Yeah, 2? Okay. I recently rewatched four and I, I, I spent so many years thinking that that movie had dated very poorly, you know, that it was, Oh, it was too stuck in, in, in the eighties. Not, not nostalgic. Cause it was made in the eighties, but it was too stuck in the eighties with the look and feel of, you know, 1986 and it wasn't going to hold up. And I recently watched it and man, it holds up the humor in that movie and the wonder of, of the story that they were telling whew, that movie really does hold up. The fun. Um, what will Star Trek look like 50 years from now? 50 years. Oh my God. I don't have any. We're at 50, the 50th anniversary. You know, it's just in 66. I don't think anybody would have predicted that we would still be sitting here talking about it 50 years later, but I'm wondering, and at this point, I think we have to assume people will be talking about this 50 years from now. And it, I don't, I don't think you can assume that it will, but, if it is, I think a good model to look at is uh, uh, is something like Sherlock Holmes or, or or the works of Shakespeare that have become so infused into popular culture that uh, they have an enduring appeal and they've had an enduring impact. And uh, uh, Roddenberry himself said, uh, "I hope people say I did a good I did a good job, but I hope that some that I'm followed by someone who will come back and who will come in and say, yeah, Roddenberry did good, but." I can do better. And so hopefully it will be more diverse. It'll be more imaginative. It'll be uh, 
cooler looking and um, uh, and if we're very lucky it'll have the same impact on that generation as the present tracks have had on us mike denise thank you guys so much for taking the time this is it's just been an absolute pleasure the uh star trek encyclopedia fourth edition comes out in october um I have a, I have the PDF of it, and that's massive enough. I can't even imagine. You guys are they're holding up the uh, the hardbacks of it right now, and this is it's a massive, massive two volume set. And if if you are a fan of books and paper, as I am, this is definitely one you're going to want to have. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Every page, every spread. Thank you guys. You're welcome. Thank Our you. pleasure. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And I'm f- kind of feeling ripped off about what you said right <gasps> before the break. What are you talking about? Canadian Netflix does not have the remastered versions. Really? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I remember when they announced it, they were like, Netflix, HD, Star Trek, Next Generation is all going to be the new remastered. And then I was like, turned it on that day because we were in the middle of our Star Trek run. We were watching the entire Next Generation. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's still standard definition. <laughs> I was so what? I was so mad. Really? Yeah, it was still SD on ours. Maybe they don't have the rights to the new stuff. I don't know. It was pretty it's pretty disappointing. <laughs> I have the Blu-ray if you'd like me to send them to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's disappointing because I want to see it. it that is disappointing. Amazing. Yeah, and especially, you know, whether or not you want to see the updated effects, I mean I hate to say it, it sounds snobby, but like watching SD at this point, like oh, it's, it's when you're when you're so used to the the, the pristine, you know, high def, yep. crystal clear picture, then well, going back to like watching old show, that's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, and SD on an HD TV is just it's just yeah. awful, right? Yeah. <laughs> like put it on an old tube TV, it might be a little better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> tube TV. <laughs> yeah, or as we called them back then, TV. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Television. So, yeah, so Sarah's been into Deep Space Nine, and now I think she's on Voyager at this point. Okay. And okay. she's working her way through, and she's downloaded a game. There's a game on the iPhone right now in the App uh-huh. Store, and she's really in. I can hear the music right now. She's down in the room <laughs> playing it. Uh, so she, it's safe to say she's full-on Star Trek at this point. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, you know, Deep Space, like, so when I was in middle school and high school i guess right is when next gen was really in its prime mm-hmm. so i and when i went back to watch i rewatched every single episode and i i think of i think i just did this research so i'm not just pulling this number out of, right. out of thin air it was 157 episodes so it was over seven seasons um i think there were maybe two maybe three that i had never seen before or just genuinely had no memory of mm-hmm. otherwise I remembered watching every single one of those wow. episodes. Deep Space Nine, I'm in this first season. I remembered the pilot. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching the pilot when it first came on, but otherwise, I don't I've never seen any of these. Right. And, and I've, so, I've never seen Deep Space Nine either, not yet. Yeah, and Voyager and Enterprise, never seen a single yeah, episode of either with, one. Same of with them. me. I'm 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 as much as I hate to admit this, I'm a strictly next generation. That's all yeah. I've ever watched. And still, that's all I've seen. Not that I don't want to. It's just all I've done. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so that's like part of this was like, I, I feel like I should watch it. You know, I feel yeah. it's, a, and it's a commitment because it's mm-hmm. a lot of TV it to is. watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and especially coming off of next gen, you know, from season four on, that show was just 
firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Like it was just absolutely unreal. I mean, there were some there were some episodes of Next Gen in like seasons four and five <laughs> that were just like some of the best shows, some of the best yeah. hours of television ever. Mm-hmm. And then going to the first season of Deep Space Nine, it's it's painful, right? Because it's it's an it's a whole new cast trying to find their footing, trying to figure out who their characters are, trying mm-hmm. to you know, I mean, it's a lot of the same people behind the scenes, but that didn't necessarily translate to the best stories or the the easiest transition. So right. it's like you're watching the fir- a first season show again. So you go back to watch the first season of Next Gen. It's painful. Mm-hmm. There's some really bad. There's some really <clears> bad <throat> episodes. <Natasha Yar. clears> yeah. <laughs> there's some really bad anyway, episodes. That's my opinion on her. Anyway. Yeah. She didn't get a fair shake. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Probably the writing. We'll say it's the It writing. was because yeah. when when they brought her back for yesterday's Enterprise, she had a yeah. that was a really good story with her. And yeah. I think that yeah. if they had written her better from the beginning, um she could have been a really good character. But when you go back to watch those early, I mean, was, she was only in the first season. When you go back to watch those episodes, especially the ones that focus on her, right. She was giving nothing to do. Yeah. You know, I, agree, I agree with you. It was, I mean, she had she had no backstory. That, I mean, there was some backstory, but it was it just it, she 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 was an afterthought, and it's mm-hmm. unfair because she could have been a really good character, as yesterday's Enterprise showed. Right, and her and Data 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 got romantic at one point. They did. <laughs> that was like the second episode. Too. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that because I always found it curious because they never really. And they never really showed data like that again. I mean, no, that was it. Like that was it. Like that one time, data had us fun. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Good on him. <laughs> All right, guys, this was our Star Trek episode. Awesome. We need to. I yeah. like Star Trek. I like it a lot. We should. Uh, I don't know. We should do more. We should do more. I don't know who. Maybe Patrick Stewart. I don't know. No. <laughs> I, I hate to say it. Everybody who's, you know, on the edge of their seats waiting for Patrick no. Stewart, I have not given up, but I did get an official no from his people. Nice. Um, but I'm still working on it. Just it's give us good. time. It's all good. Give us we, time. Eventually, once our numbers get up there, then we'll get the official yes. <laughs> if you want to hear us be total idiots with Patrick Stewart, tell all your friends to listen. <laughs> tweet, tweet Jonathan Frakes and be like, you know those guys you were on their podcast? And he'd be uh, like, Who? <laughs> give, Pat, give Sir Patrick a good word for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'll be like, what? <laughs> who are, who are you talking guys? about? I don't know who Geek Dad is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. If you want to get in touch, we are at the GBB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Justin at 140JustinC. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. And we will see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.